I was having dinner with some friends yesterday who don't go to church here, and they were asking me, what have you guys been doing? And I said, we, we're, we're going to finish up a series on, on the book of Habakkuk. And, uh, and they said, well, have you, have you liked it? And I said, I think it's probably, and I've been, in, I've, I've been in, on church staffs in ministry for 32 years now. And I've, I was trying to think this morning, I imagine I've preached well over 2,500 sermons over the course of that lifetime or career. And I, I really want you to know, this has been my favorite series. I can't think of another series that's meant more to me. And it may be because it's been so personal to me. Eight, about eight months ago when the Lord laid this little book on my heart, well, that was a long time ago, you know, and I had no idea what we would be walking through when we got to this little book personally. You know, let me just refresh your memory, and I'm not looking for, you know, I don't want you to think I'm, I'm thinking of myself as a victim, not at all because I realize that many of you are also working through some similar circumstances. But over the last few weeks, uh, we have been on a roller coaster. Our entire family has. Um, we, uh, my, my mom, who is already struggling from dementia, fell, fractured her hip, and that has marked a significant decline in her health. And I'm trying to help my dad navigate his way through this as he cares for her, as we try to figure out the best course of action. Um, my son, younger son, was married about a month ago, and that was great, but you know what? Stress? Uh, you know, it was, it was crazy. And then, to top it all off, the week before my son gets married, all four of us and our family lose our jobs because the school we worked at closed. And so it's like, oh, Lord, now what? And it was unexpected. And, and that just kind of scratches the surface of a lot of other things that have been going on as I've preached this, through this series on this book of Habakkuk that tells us how we can, uh, how we can have faith to trust God even in the most troubling of times. And I know that you guys have your own issues that you're dealing with. I, I have lots of conversations with you and I know that you're, many of you right now are in, uh, a difficult chapter in your life. And I want you to know that, first of all, you're not alone. I understand where you're at because I'm kind of walking through that with you in my own way. And second, I want you to know that none of us has the answer apart from Jesus Christ. He is the hope. He is the source that gets us through all of these ups and downs, these twists and turns of life. Fix your focus on Christ. And that is... The, that is really the message of this little book. It's meant a lot to me. I hope it's meant a lot to you. We have copies of the manuscripts available. And there are a couple of the sermons that have been recorded on podcasts. Go back. I know I'm going to pull this one up as I uh, continue to journey through this portion of my life to remind myself of some of the things the Lord has dropped into my heart to pass on to you over these last few weeks. But today we finish up this series. And I hope that you're got your listening ears on, and I hope that your heart is open to receive what the Lord has for you and me this morning. You ready? I hope so. Uh, my throat is still causing me some trouble. That was another issue I've been going through, about three months of no sleep at night because of some throat issues. And Anyway, that's neither here nor there. God's bigger, right? God's bigger. God is good. All the time. I am a witness. There you go. I think most of us would agree. I think most of us would agree that our nation is in trouble. Uh, we could go over a list of statistics that I could throw at you to use as evidence. I could 
mention any number of things that would uh, serve as testimony to this, but I think most of us would agree that our nation, America, is in trouble. And we know it. Uh, we see evil running rampant. We see immorality and injustice flourishing everywhere. We see or hear reports of violence and hatred and bloodshed. They lead every TV newscast. We hear stories of corruption, extortion, and perversion because they fill our news feeds. These were among, if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, these were among some of the charges listed in God's bill of indictment against the Babylonians in Habakkuk chapter 2. These same issues that plague us were the issues uh, that, that caused God to judge and ultimately destroy the empire of Babylon. And frankly, and let me just get this off my chest, I believe that America is headed down that same path, to be perfectly frank. Our only hope as a nation, listen to me carefully here, our only hope as a nation, our only hope as individuals, is to turn to God before judgment falls. As a people, as a people we need to turn to God before it's too late. People can't mock God forever. People can't ignore Him. And they can't pretend that He's not there. People can't go on living as they please, thinking that God's going to overlook the sinful ways that we treat Him and treat one another. Sooner or later, the chickens are going to come home to roost. You know, everybody I talk to knows that. Even an atheist knows that it can't go on like this forever. That at some point, there has to be justice for what's going on in the world. They know that. We know that instinctively. God has hardwired us to believe that there will be justice at some point in this world. That's why when things happen to us, we say what? That's not fair. That's not right. You know, because we know in our hearts that there ought, it ought to be right. And it ought to be fair. And it ought to be just. Sooner or later, the chickens are going to come home to roost. And sooner or later, the piper's got to be paid. And sooner or later, God will bring judgment in order to make things right again. That's what the Bible clearly teaches. And that's one very clear message that we've received as we've gone through this little book of Habakkuk. There's a day of judgment coming for all of those who choose not to repent of their sins. There's a day of judgment coming for all of those who choose not to turn in faith to Christ to save them. Now, a little review here. If you remember, the book of Habakkuk actually records a conversation that took place between the prophet Habakkuk and God. In chapter 1, if you remember, Habakkuk asked God why God seemed to overlook the sins of Judah. And I catch myself asking a similar kind of question. God, why are you choosing to ignore the sins of America? Well, God responded to Habakkuk that he wasn't overlooking their sins, that judgment was certainly coming, and it was coming in the form of an even nastier people, the Babylonians. Well, God's answer made no sense to Habakkuk. Habakkuk couldn't wrap his mind around what God was going to do. And I don't know about you, sometimes I am absolutely confused about what God is doing. You ever find yourself like, why, why, why? I don't get it. Go back and read the manuscripts or listen to the podcasts. Why would a holy God use a people more wicked than Judah 
to exercise his judgment on Judah. Why would God do that? Well, God doesn't directly answer Habakkuk's questions. Instead, as we talked about in chapter 2, God gives Habakkuk some instructions. First, Habakkuk, write down what I'm saying. Write down what God has said. Second, wait for God's will to be done. And third, remember to live by faith as you wait. Well, then we see in chapter 2, God goes on to lay out a bill of indictment against the Babylonians, laying out His case against them and why He was going to destroy them too. Well, today, everybody take a deep breath. All the bad news is over. Thank God. Today. Today in chapter 3, it's going to turn a corner. Today you can take a deep breath. The bad news is out. Judah's going down, and then Babylon's going down after her. Sin's going to be judged. Destruction is coming. But now you can take a deep breath because the story's about to take a turn. In chapter 3, the whole tone of the book changes. In chapter 3, Habakkuk speaks to God, and you can tell this as you read it, that Habakkuk's perspective on things has changed as well. You see that Habakkuk moves from confusion about what God is doing to clarity. You see that Habakkuk goes from panic about what God is doing to peace. And you see Habakkuk move from fear to faith. And I hope that's the effect that chapter 3 has on you this morning as well. But there's one important observation I want to make before we get into the message today. We've got to see this. This may be the most important observation we take away from this little book today or over the last several weeks. Here it is. Nothing has changed on the outside. Circumstances haven't changed. Judah is still crawling with sin. Babylon is still wicked and nasty. And God is still sending the Babylonians to come in and destroy the nation of Judah. Nothing has changed about the circumstances. Nothing has changed on the outside. But Habakkuk has changed on the inside. Got it? If you hear nothing else I say, if you have not heard one thing I've said in the last several weeks, hear me say this. Nothing has changed on the outside. What's changed is Habakkuk on the inside. People are still mocking God. Violence and bloodshed still fill the streets of Jerusalem. Babylon is still coming as an instrument of justice in the hands of God. Outwardly, everything is as messed up as it's ever been. But Habakkuk has changed on the inside. From panic to peace. From confusion to clarity. From fear to faith. How many of you believe that God wants to change you no matter what your circumstances are? Let whatever happens out there happen. But God, here's my heart. I'll let your peace reign and rule over my life, regardless of the chaos and the disorder that's out there. Well, how did it happen? How was Habakkuk able to change the way he looked at things? How was he able to change his, his perspective? 
How was he able to arrive at a place of such peace? How was Habakkuk able to now walk with such confidence? How was he able now to live in such faith? Even though the outward circumstances of his life had not changed, how is it now that Habakkuk could look and see that when peace like a river... What's that song? Sing that song? I'm, I'm gone blank. It is well with my... Don't you want to live where it's well with your soul? How does that happen? How does that happen? Chapter 3 gives us the answer. So I don't know what the circumstances of your life are right now. I don't know what you're struggling with. What, what, seems, what circumstance seems to be overwhelming your heart, your life today? If you will listen carefully to what God, to, to what God did in this process of changing Habakkuk's heart, God will do the same for you as He did for Habakkuk because He's no respecter of persons. He'll give you peace in the storm too. Let's go to chapter 3. Let's read it together and let's get into this message. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day, in our time. Make them known in wrath. Remember mercy. God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and His praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from His hands where His power was hidden. Plague went before Him. Pestilence followed His steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed, but He marches on forever. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow, you called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode to the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. When was the last time you had a vision of God that dropped you to your knees because it was so overwhelming, His majesty and glory? Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. And these are two of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, I'm making a choice. Yet, will I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. 
The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Let's pray. Father, such a powerful word. Such a powerful word, and I'm such a weak witness and messenger for you to send to this people. So Lord, I pray that you would get me out of your way. Speak through me today. Speak through me. Speak to these people. Strengthen their hearts today. Deepen their faith today. Oh God, have your way today in us. Let the truth of this message ring. Let it be spoken in clarity. Let it be spoken in power. Spirit of God, take these words and anoint them. And use them to bring glory and honor to your name today. Give us ears to hear. A mind to understand. And a heart that's willing to embrace the truth and live it out. So that you can use us in these troubled times, in these days of confusion and chaos, to bring you glory through our lives. We praise you. This is for you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Now the outline for chapter 3 is really simple. You have a prayer, you have a vision, and you have a confession of faith. And what we're going to do is just take them one at a time, and we're going to go with the prophet on this spiritual journey that takes him from fear to faith. First, we see Habakkuk offer a prayer to the Lord. Habakkuk offers a prayer to the Lord. In verse 2, it says this, Lord, I have heard of Your fame. I stand in awe of Your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. This is simply a prayer from Habakkuk's heart to God. And the change in Habakkuk begins with this little prayer. In the face of impending catastrophe, Habakkuk looks toward heaven and he prays for a full manifestation of God's power. Habakkuk prays for God to, to show mercy in the midst of judgment. It's like he's saying this. It's like he's saying, Lord, I know bad times are coming. I see it. I understand it. And I accept it. I'm not going to resist you anymore. I'm not going to argue with you anymore. I understand that I'll never fully comprehend what you're doing, and that's okay, because I trust you. I trust you. But Lord, when those hard times come, please don't let the Babylonians wipe us out. You ever prayed a prayer like that before? Please. Please, God, show us your power, and God, show us your mercy, or else we're done for. We'll perish. Now, let me be honest. That is a perfectly biblical prayer. You know why? Because it's honest. Because it's humble. He's no longer telling God what to do. He's saying, God, I understand that I am not you. You do what you will. So it's, it's honest and it's humble. And another reason why it's so biblical is because it's desperate. It's desperate. It's the kind of prayer God's going to answer. In Psalm 51, 17, it tells us this, the sacrifice, God, that you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. That's a prayer God's going to hear. It's honest, it's humble, and it's desperate. Can I, let me just say this. The reason why God permits us to go through difficult times 
go through some of these dark chapters in our life is simply to bring us to an end of ourselves and a dependence on Him. Because as long as we got something else to look to, we have a tendency to make an idol out of that something else. So sometimes He has to pry our hands off the other things that we're trusting in so that we will wrap our hands around the cross and hold on to it and it alone. Does that make sense? Oh boy, I'm getting way off track here. Let's get back at it. I want you to notice something else about this prayer. Habakkuk asked God to do again what God has already done in the past, before. He says to God in this prayer, repeat your deeds in our day. God, in our time, make your deeds known. This ought to be the prayer of every genuine believer in Christ Jesus. We ought to be praying for God to show up and show out today like He has in the past. We ought to be praying for revival in the face of the impending judgment that's headed our way. We ought to be praying for miracles in our time of desperation. We need to be, we need to be praying for revelation of God and His Word in this time of confusion and chaos. We need to be praying for God to make Himself known today through demonstrations of His power and expressions of His mercy. He's done it before. Maybe He'll do it again. And I tell you, this should be our prayer because God Himself spoke a very similar thing to Solomon back in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 when God said this to King Solomon, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, read this verse with me because we all know it, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Look, God wants us to know that He can do it again. Billy Graham said to get nations back on their feet, we must first get down on our knees. I personally believe, getting back to this idea that America's in trouble, I personally believe that we're on the brink of another great awakening here in America. If you read your history, you'll find out there was a great awakening that took place in the 1700s. A second great awakening took place in the 1800s. And I believe God is setting us up for another great awakening now in the 2000s. If you go back and read the histories of those kinds of revivals, you will see that historically revivals come in times of desperation. And boy, are we desperate. Miracles usually don't happen until you really need them. And boy, do we really need them. And it seems like God won't move in power until things are on the brink of disaster. And man, I think we're right at the edge. It looks to me, it seems to me, that God is about to send another great awakening to America where people turn to God because of their circumstances, because they have nowhere else to turn, I believe God is going to... I really believe this. I'm, I'm, I'm just 
we need to be ready for it when it comes, I think. But I really believe, God, in these last days that lead up to the return of Christ Jesus, our King again, I believe we're going to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I believe we're going to see our lost family members and friends want to know the Lord for themselves. And they're going to turn to us because they have seen the change that has been wrought in our lives through the power of the Word of God and His Holy Spirit. And they're going to want to know, man, what have you got that keeps you so peaceful in this time of chaos? What is it that keeps you so strong in the midst of all this meltdown? I believe, I believe that God is raising up people like you and me to be His witnesses in these last days so that He can bring a revival to Calera, Alabama and Columbiana and Montevallo. My thing is, are we ready for it? Anyway, getting back to the message. I'm way off track again. That's another sermon. You see, I, I, I really believe there's another great awakening that God's about to, to pour out on, on a, a great awakening that's on its way to America. And, and here's the deal. I want that revival to begin right here, right now, in me. In me. There's an old Chinese prayer that goes something like this. Oh Lord, change the world. Begin, I pray thee, with me. Here's the problem, guys. Often our prayers are about God changing someone else. Something else. Change my circumstances. Change my family. Change my friends. Change my church. And really the whole target here is you! God needs to start here with me, there with you. Listen, I am convinced that the one standing in the way of a move of God in these desperate and confusing times might possibly, probably be me. I'm convinced of that. That I might be standing in His way. So here's what I want to happen. I want, the let, I want the revival that's going to take place in our nation to begin here, in me. I don't want to stand in the Lord's way. I don't think you do either. And so I'm going to ask you, will you pray that prayer with me? Will you pray that prayer with me? Lord, let the next great awakening in America begin with me. Let the, let the change that I desire in my family begin with me. Let the change I desire in my workplace begin with me. Let the change I desire in my community begin with me. Let it begin here. Let the change I desire in my circumstances begin in my heart, in my mind, in my spirit. A prayer. Habakkuk's change begins when he prays. A humble, honest, desperate prayer to the Lord. That's where our change will begin too, with prayer. And then Habakkuk has a vision. Habakkuk has a vision of God. After, after he prayed, Habakkuk gets a fresh vision of God. Theologians call it a theophany. That's a $2 word that means that God appeared here on the earth. And He appeared in this case for the benefit of Habakkuk. God revealed Himself to Habakkuk in a vision that's described for us in verses 3-15. through 15. And I would encourage you to go back this afternoon and look at all of those verses and what God had to say. We're only going to focus on just a couple of those verses. It's beautifully poetic. 
It's some of the most beautiful poetry that I think exists in, uh, in world literature. But the point of it is clear. God uses this vision to remind Habakkuk of the power that he had displayed in the past. And God especially focuses on the miracles that he performed in Israel's history during the Exodus and in their wanderings through the wilderness. And in this, in this vision, in this poetic vision that God gives Habakkuk, God is saying this to Habakkuk, and he's saying the same thing to us. If I did it before, then trust me, I can do it again. If I did it before, God's saying to us, trust me, I can do it again. You know, and sometimes I think, and I have, in conversations, I think that's been confirmed with some of you, sometimes we read the Bible and we wonder if God really could do today what He did back then. Come on. You've wondered. Could God really do today what He did back then? We struggle with that sometimes. Well, here's the answer to your question. Absolutely He can. Why? Because He's God. He can do what He wants, any way He wants, when He wants. God can do it again. And in verses 13-15, through 15, we, we get a little taste of what Habakkuk's vision was all about as God revealed Himself to Habakkuk in a fresh way. He said this, You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of, their, of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, as gloating, uh, gloating as though about to devour the... I can't find my water. <laughs> gloating, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I want you to look at the verbs in that passage of Scripture. I should have underlined them up there, but you can follow along. Look at the verbs that, that is used here in this vision, describing what, what God did. You came out. You crushed. You stripped. You pierced. You trampled. What God is saying is, this is what I did, and this is what I can still do. Here's what God did. And we read the witness that's in the Word. As you read the Bible, you can't help but, but see what God did. God destroyed all those who opposed Him, who opposed His purposes. God destroyed them, got rid of them. He destroyed sin, death, and the grave through the, the death, life, and the uh, resurrection of Christ Jesus, right? Any, uh, anything that would oppose the plans and the purposes of God, God eliminates it, right? And we also see as a witness in the Word that God delivers... God will do whatever it takes to deliver His people. We've seen it over and over. Trust God. He can do it again. I don't care what your circumstance is right now. It doesn't matter what your financial condition is. It doesn't matter what struggle you're facing. It doesn't matter what's going on around you. Trust me, God can take care of it. He's done it before. He'll do it again. Here's the issue with all of us here in Christian Life Fellowship. And also, I think the church in America, we need a fresh vision of God, man. We think that we've put God in our little theological doctrinal boxes, and He's okay with it. As, as, uh, as C.S. Lewis said in, in the Chronicles of Narnia, 
He's not a tame lion. You can't keep him caged up. We think that he has kind of backed off, and now we're the ones that are supposed to take charge. Are you kidding me? I got nothing to take charge with. Without him, I'm nothing. Without him, I can't. But with him, I can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But without Christ, hey man, I'm a loser like the rest of y'all. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) We need a fresh vision of God. We need a fresh vision of what God can do. We need our own theophany, if you will. In these times of desperation and confusion, in these times of chaos, we need God to remind us how awesome He is. We need God to remind us how powerful He is. We need God to remind us how big He is. Here's our problem. Every one of us is a theologian. We all have our thoughts and beliefs about God. The problem is our theology for many of us sucks. It really does. All of us are theologians. But the sad fact is, most of us are bad ones. And we're not clear about who God is. We take our ideas about God from all kinds of sources. Hollywood, what other people have to say, from our background, our past church experiences. We take our theology about God from all of these faulty sources, and so we tend to see God that way, he's weak, he's ineffective, he is disengaged, he doesn't care, or he's oppressive. And if we step out of line, he's going to slap our hand. And he's out to get us. Faulty ideas of God. We need a fresh vision of God. If you're going to be a theologian, be a good one. If you're going to be a theologian, at least make the effort to be a good one. We need a fresh vision of God. We need to know who God really is. Not what we think about Him, we need to know Him. Because if, if, if we knew how big God really is, what have we got to worry about? If we know how big God really is, why are we so weak in our spiritual battles? If God is for us, who can... If if we know how big God really is, why would we ever be tempted to compromise? Why would we cave into sin and temptation if we knew how big God really is? We need a fresh vision of God. And I'm challenging you, listen, this nation's going through some tough times, and you're going through some tough times individually. I know that. I'm there with you, okay? I need a fresh vision of God. You need a fresh vision of God. And you know how you're going to get it? By spending time with Him. Not, not spending time with people who may know a little bit about Him. Spending time with God Himself. Spending time in His Word. That's how He reveals Himself to us. But can I ask you a question? How much time did you spend in the Word this week? Most of us were like, oh, you really don't want to know. And you're right, I really don't want to know, but... We ought to ask ourselves, am I, am I, am I trying to, am I trying to get a fresh revelation of who God is and what God can do? 
And if I knew who God was, would it change my life? And I'm telling you, yes, it would. Spend time with God. Spend time in His Word. Spend time with Him in prayer. Spend time with Him in meditation and reflection. Time away from distractions. Time away from the white noise of life. Time in worship. Time in fellowship with other believers. Jeremiah 29.13 makes us this promise. God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. But what we have done is we have put God and time spent with Him on such a... It's at the bottom of, of our list of priorities. I mean, for, my dad and I were talking about it yesterday as we, he asked me how things were going here. And I said, Dad, you never know what you're going to get in summer. You know, people will leave, they go to the lake, they do that. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I'm, I'm fine with that. But I'm just saying, some of you, this may be the last time I get to see you for the next couple of months. Because you're about to dip on us. And I wish I could, I wish I knew that you, when you dipped, that you would find your way to another church or another fellowship, but I'm telling you what, it probably is not going to happen. God will be so far down the list of your priorities. We always say, I don't have time to read the Word. I don't have time to pray. You're on vacation in the summer. I bet you'll, you'll read less of the Word in the summer than you will in the spring. Is that not true? I'm not trying to slam you. I'm, that's me too. We've got to make God the priority. Knowing God has got to be our priority. We've got to have a fresh vision. If you're weak and struggling, then my follow-up question to, to you ought to be, how much time have you spent with God this week? Because if you know who God is, there's no back down in you. There's no back up in you if you know who God is. We need a fresh vision of God. The clearer our vision is of God, the stronger our faith is in God. Does that make sense? The clearer our vision is of God, the stronger our faith is in God. So Habakkuk's perspective. Circumstances didn't change. What changed was Habakkuk. His perspective changed from fear to faith, from panic to peace. When first he prayed to God, and then when he received a fresh vision from God. But then you see the third part of this process that took place in his heart was this. Habakkuk made a confession of his faith in God. We see a confession, a confession of faith. Habakkuk confessed his faith in God. And this confession of faith breaks down basically into two parts. I want you to notice this. Excuse me. Habakkuk's confession of faith breaks down into two parts. The first part is acceptance. Verse 16 says, Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. This is Habakkuk's way of saying to God, I get it. I get it, Lord. I get it. The Babylonians will attack us. The Babylonians are going to destroy us and carry many of us off into captivity. I get it. And then I know that you're going to judge them and you're going to destroy them as a nation. I, I, I get the message. I get it. I accept it. Now Habakkuk didn't live long enough to actually see it play out himself. But he trusted that God would do what God had said 
he would do. And it didn't matter that Habakkuk never saw it with his own eyes. He simply accepted that this was the course of history and this is what God was going to do. Habakkuk's basically saying this to God. This is what you've said, so I know this is what's going to happen. I accept that. Can I just say this? Some of us aren't there yet. Some of us haven't come to realize, you know, I'm walking right now with my dad, with, with my mom. I love my mom. And I, I don't mean to get all personal about what's going on with me. But let me just use this as an illustration. When, when my, my mom's been struggling now with dementia for at least two years, and she's gotten more and more frail, more and more weak, she went into the, when she went into the hospital with a fractured hip about two months ago, three months ago, she weighed, sopping wet, 78 pounds. See, a little tiny, frail thing. She fractured her hip, went into the hospital. And I told Dad in the hospital, and this wasn't an expression in my mind anyway of doubt or unbelief. I just told my dad, look, this is going to mark a turnaround. It's going to mark a, a change in mom's life. We're never going to get mom back again as she was. She'll never be able to get up and take, you know, go to the bathroom herself, those kinds of things. It's just not going to happen. This fractured hip changes everything. And he looked at me and said, oh, yeah, okay, I understand that. And I thought to myself, uh, you don't get it yet. When mom came home, the dad was convinced that uh, if he could just get her back into the routine that she had had before she fractured her hip, that mom would soon recover and get right back to where she was before. And I listened to him say, you know, say that, and I didn't correct him. I, I don't, you don't like to crush people's hopes, do you? Well, now we're a month away from, from, from that rehab, and mom weighs 68 pounds. And she, she's doing good, you know, good, relative good but she's not able to walk. She's not able to get to the bathroom by herself. And I had a tough conversation with Dad last Sunday, Father's Day, of all days to have a tough conversation with your dad. And he finally, he admitted it. He admitted to me, I don't think Mom's going to come back the way she was. That's acceptance. That's realizing, look, this is the way it's laid out. This is the way it's headed. Could God work a miracle? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do I pray for one? Absolutely. But you know where mom's ultimate healing lies? Not here. Here. You know, even if my mom were able to walk around like she used to, right now her mom, you know, she's... Anyway, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is this. Some of you in your circumstances have yet to accept where you are and accept the way things are playing out. And that's what leaves your heart so unsettled. You haven't gotten your kids back yet. You're finding out, you're finding out that your marriage is never going to work. It's not your fault. It's not God's fault. That's just the way it's playing out right now. You hear what I'm saying? Sometimes you have to come to a place of acceptance 
about the situation you're in so that God can work to change your heart and your mind about where you are. So that He can move you in a different direction. So that you can let the past go and move on into this glorious future that God has intended for you. Does that make sense? Acceptance is huge. My dad's having to accept the fact that he'll never get his wife back like she was. But the glorious promise that awaits him is the fact that when he gets to heaven, he gets her back. Better than she's ever been. We're not there yet. Get that? We're not there yet. We're in this in-between time. Anyway, accept. that's another sermon altogether. And uh, I sorry it took so long there, but... The second part of this confession of faith is commitment. And this is where we are today. This is where you and I are today, all of us. Commitment. Verses 17 and 18 show us the level of Habakkuk's commitment to God. (laughs) Two of my favorite verses. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The word rejoice there literally means to jump for joy. But how can anyone, how can anyone jump for joy when your entire world has fallen apart? How is it possible to jump for joy when there's been a complete economic meltdown? I want you to remember now, Israel was an agrarian society, all right? If they had no figs, if they had no grapes or sheep or cattle, they faced starvation and death. It didn't look good, all right? How can you jump for joy no matter what is going on around you? I mean, what if you lost everything today? Some of you have. You know what that feels like. What if you lost everything today? What if your entire investment portfolio was wiped out in a moment in time? What if the entire American economy tanked and the company you worked for tanked with it? What would you do? Jump for joy? (laughs) What if the doctor told you there's no cure? What if your spouse walked out on you today? What if your children turned their backs on you and said, I don't want anything to do with you? What if the judge looked at you this week and said, you've got to go to jail? What if the bank called you and said, we've got to close on your house, foreclose on your house? What would you do then? Could you jump for joy? We have two choices. Two choices, basically, when we find ourselves in trouble. We can get angry with God and give up on Him. And we've done that before, some of us. Have that work out for you. Or we can choose to trust God anyway and walk it out. That's where the road forks, man. Right there. When you find yourself in a difficult time, a hard time, when you find yourself facing circumstances that are overwhelming, when you find that the people who you love the most are failing you the worst, you got two choices. 
Give up on God? Trust God anyway. Some of us are at the fork right now. Come on. Some of us are right here at the fork right now. It doesn't look good. And we don't feel good. And nothing around us seems right. What are you going to do? Give up on God? Or trust Him anyway? How many of you are at that fork right now in your life? You're at that fork in the road. Well, here you are. Here you are. Faith is a choice. Listen, faith in God is a choice. To believe God is a choice that we make. It's not some magical feeling ginned up. It's a, it's a, it's a choice that we make. Too many Christians have a God who's only about the good times. They'll serve God and they'll love God and they'll praise God when everything is going their way. But when the hard times come, what happens? They give up on God and walk away. If all you believe in is a God of the good times, then you don't believe in the God of the Bible. I should have gotten a bigger amen. I'm going to try it one more time. If you only believe that God is a God of the good times, then you don't believe in the God of the Bible. Thank you. Because sometimes the fig tree doesn't bud. And sometimes there are no grapes on the vine. And sometimes the fields produce no food. And sometimes the economy tanks. And sometimes the medical reports are bad. And sometimes the people you love are going to fail you. What are you going to do when that time comes? God is good. All the time. I'm a witness. God is good. All the time. I'm a witness. That's a choice. That's a choice. You hear me? That's a choice. Those of you that are at that fork in the road, you've got a choice. You've got a choice. Whom will you believe? Faith has nothing to do. Let's drive this thought out of our... Faith has nothing to do with circumstances. Faith has nothing to do with feelings. Faith is a choice to believe God. To take Him at His word. Faith is a choice to believe that yes, He is good. And yes, He does love me. And yes, He does care about me. And yes, He will see me through. Faith is a choice. Faith is a choice. 2 Corinthians chapter 5-7 says, For we live by faith, not by sight. If I lived by sight, if I lived by the condition of my life over these last few weeks, <laughs> I'd be one hot mess. You know what I'm talking about? I don't live in the light of my circumstances or the way I'm feeling. Is there some, can I just be honest, some of these, some of these days over the last three months, I didn't feel like a man of faith. I felt like anything but. 
I'm not going to live by my feelings. I'm not going to live in, in the light of my circumstances or the size of my bank account. I'm going to live by faith in God and what He has said. I live by faith, not by sight. That's You boil down this whole journey with Christ and that's what it boils down to. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. It's all about faith. It's all about faith. I, I'm sorry, I'm delaying. Let me get. Let me get, go on. And that's the question we have for us today. Are we going to choose faith in God regardless of our circumstances and, and feelings? And that's what this whole book of Habakkuk is about. It comes down to, to this reality. I've got to choose. I've got to choose right here at this fork in the road who I'm going to trust, what I'm going to believe. And as for me and my house, I'm choosing the Lord. Habakkuk made the choice to believe in God. This last verse sometimes gets overlooked, and I wanted to point out uh, why it's been included here for us. Habakkuk made his choice to believe in God, and and, and, in making that choice, and this is where some of us are today, in making that choice, he found new strength in the face of all the hardship and the struggle going on. We often overlook this last verse, but let's read it together. It says, The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. This phrase, my feet, speaks of our journey through this life. And the feet of the deer refer to the deer that scamper around those steep hills that surround the Dead Sea and the Holy Land. Those deer are sure... You ever seen a mountain goat? Isn't it amazing how those mountain goats just bound all over the place? And it's like, dude, that, that cliff like drops a thousand feet and you're running around like there's nothing. How do you do that? Well, that's what, that's what it's talking about. Those deer were, were, were so sure-footed. They, they never seem to stumble around. They never seem to slide around. And that's the point of verse 19. It's this. When we choose to trust God in spite of our circumstances and in spite of our feelings, we enjoy strength and stability when life gets slippery. The path we're on is a real narrow one. You guys get that, right? Faith in God gives us sure footing when the road gets slippery. While other people are sliding, our feet are firmly planted on that narrow path that takes us home. It reminds me of what Ephesians chapter 6 says when it tells us to put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. Listen, if we'll trust God in days of confusion and chaos, if we'll choose faith when life gets problematic and hard, then we'll be standing firm when the battle is over. Alright, so we're going to go to a close. We're going to have prayer in just a minute. We're going to have some worship. If you find yourself in a situation, if you're one of those that raised your hand and said, I'm at a fork, in the road, and I've got to choose either to walk with God or walk away from God. I'm going to ask the leadership of this church, those who know how to pray, to come up and be ready to pray for people. You've already admitted you've got that, that, that that's an issue in your life right now. You've got to choose. I want you to at least reach out and let someone pray with you in this in this valley of decision that you're in. But as we end the study of Habakkuk, and I, man, I hope you go back and review it. I want, you to rem- I want to remind you again of this really important observation that we started this message with. 
Nothing for Habakkuk has changed on the outside. Not one thing has changed for him in the circumstances that he's living in. The people of Judah, they've still forgotten God. The streets of Jerusalem are still filled with injustice and violence. God is still sending the Babylonians in judgment. Nothing has changed on the outside for Habakkuk. What's changed is Habakkuk on the inside. He's changed on the inside. He prayed to God. A humble, honest, and desperate prayer. He received a fresh vision of God, who God is and what God had done, and what God was promising to do yet again. And then he confessed his faith in God. He accepted the will of God for his life, and then he committed himself to God. He confessed his faith in God. Habakkuk decided to live by faith, not by sight. And that's what flipped the script for him. That's what changed his perspective. That's what changed his attitude. That's what gave him peace in the storm. Some of you are right there now where Habakkuk was then. Walk by faith, not by sight. The chapter that you're in right now, it may be dark, it may be confusing, but God wants to turn your heart around. He wants to help you see things as they really are, that He is indeed working all things together for your good and His glory. Father, I love You and I praise You. And I thank You for Your Word. And I pray now, Father, that, the, that those in this room that are struggling with doubt and unbelief, I pray in the name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit would speak to their hearts today. And they would choose not to act on that doubt, not to act on that unbelief, not to walk away from You. I pray in the name of Jesus instead they would act in faith. They would look to You and pray for Your help in their time of need that they would look to You and see You as a God of power and a God of compassion and mercy. And they would look to You and make a confession of faith in You, trusting their life putting their life in Your hands to do with as You will for their good and Your glory. Father, there are people in this room who are making a choice today. And today I pray that they would make a choice to believe in You, to trust You, to take You at Your Word. And we'll praise You and thank You, God, as You bring strength and stability to their hearts, as You bring peace to their minds. Oh God, have Your way. In Jesus' name.